So I'm here with Tom and Grace from Friendzone. And, and the very first question I'm going to ask the both of them is, what does community mean to you? Hmm. Um, the, the first thought that comes to mind is, uh, I, I read this book once uh, by Peter Block, B-L-O-C-K, and the book is called Community, A Structure of Belonging. And he tries to define community as, as some, there is some structure uh, to the idea of community. And I really resonate with what he said, which was that community is very much tied to the idea of belonging. Um, and there are two definitions of belonging here, um, which are namely the sentences, I belong to something and something belongs to me. So when we say that something belongs to me, um, it usually means that I own that thing. So I, am, I, I own the thing that I am in. Uh, and when we say that I belong to something, uh, usually we mean that I am part of something. So I'm just part of this, this neighborhood or ecosystem uh, that we're building. So I think that's what community would mean to me. I am part of this community, of, of a group, and I own the group. I own my, my presence in the group. Yeah. Got you. And Grace? What does community yeah. mean to you? I mean, I, I totally resonate with what uh, Tham said. And just to add on, it really relates to um, the heart for Friendsome, which is to kind of uh, share this idea that community is ours to create. You know, I think sometimes when, sometimes when people think about, like, oh, they criticize a community, or they feel like, oh, this community is a bit dead, like, it's not really happening. Or, um, it's also on, it's just a reminder that it's on each and every one of us to create the community experience that we want to have, that we want to see. You know, like, and just to take that initiative to build the relationships and the friendships. And that um, not, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a lot of people, but just in like the one-on-one -on -one friendships that you have. Yeah, I think community is a focus on the people around you and the relationships that you have with them. Yeah, and just being aware that we are all embedded in multiple communities. You know, like my sports community, in my neighborhood community, in my church community, and that everyone has something to, to contribute and to give, and that we all have something that we can receive from um, others. And that giving and receiving uh, can look like different things. It can look like giving and receiving of stories, of um, like passions, of skills, of support. Yeah. And in addition to like the typical kampung spirity things, like oh, like bake cookies and give them to my neighbor, kind of like more material kind of thing. Yeah. From socialservice.sg, I am Jing Yao. This is COVID-19 Community Chronicles in Singapore, a podcast documenting community initiatives and discussing related structural or systemic challenges. Before the pandemic, building communities was difficult. Maintaining and sustaining these communities after they were built was even more difficult. And now, with a pandemic and a circuit breaker in Singapore, community organizers who run social initiatives and programs have had to adapt so as to remain connected to and engaged with their communities. Today, we hear from three such organizers. First, we hear from Deborah Lam, co-founder of the social enterprise Society Staples, which seeks to create conversations about persons with disabilities while imparting unique perspectives through these interactions. Some of their services include team building programs, community outreach events, and school workshops. Next, we hear from Grace Chua and Tham Chin Han, 
co-founders of the social organization Friendzone, from whom we heard at the start of this episode. Inspired by their university campus experience, Grace, Thumb, and the Friendzone team have sought to connect young adults in their neighborhoods, and they also run community building events and workshops. Through these experiences, we want to learn about how they have shifted their regular programs and services very much premised upon face-to-face interactions to online platforms. How has the transition been? What were the challenges? And what have they learned through this COVID-19 experience? Here is my full conversation with society staples, Deborah, who is 27 this year, recorded on May 20th. So I know Deborah, we've we've met before, and you probably have said this story a million times. But you know, in a pre-COVID Singapore, um, could you tell me more about what Society Stables does, and then you know the work your team did, and how did you get started in the first place? Yeah. Uh, so so we've been around for like five years. Like yeah, it's it's each time I say that I'm like wow, you know, it's been such yeah. a long time. Uh, and essentially, I guess the the work that we uh, do is very focused on facilitating uh, social inclusion for people with disabilities, as well as um, bringing different types of uh, communities together. Uh, So, you know, pre-COVID, we did that uh, through like team building, a lot of like educational programs and community events. Um, And I guess the the motivation of like how we started, uh, it has always stemmed from wanting to create a more inclusive society, which is where the community building part of the work comes in. Uh, But I think when we first started, we didn't have the language and like community building was not a you know, like a term that is so like widely known right now. So it always came out as like, oh, you know, we're raising awareness, we're educating people so that we can build more common understanding. But I think somewhere along like the third year, we started to realize that this common understanding that we're talking about was really about community building because if we can, you know, uh, facilitate greater understanding, can bring people together, uh, I think that's where people also start to be a lot more accepting um, of people that might be uh, different um, and you know that's where people can really like come together and that's where we see that inclusive society happening mm-hmm. and all of all the events and commu- community building activities you've done which do you personally enjoy the most or which do you think has been uh, the most memorable Definitely the community events. So this was early in 2016. Uh, we worked with DBS um, to design like a whole a day in a life of a dragon boater with either uh, a, with either deafness or visual impairment. Um, so we will put you know the respective simulations and then like the participants would literally go through the whole process like, like a warm up all the way to the actual race uh, and then like doing their cooldowns. Um, so there was this uh, uh, young like uh, participant, I think she was like in poly, so probably like uh, in, in like 18, 19 years old, around that age. Um, and after she went through the whole simulation um, being deaf, uh, the post-it note that she wrote uh, at the end of the debrief was, uh, thank you for doing this. I finally understand how my parents go through their life, right? And, and I think that's when it really hit us, like, wow, like, you have spent like 18 or 19 years, you know, living and your parents have always been deaf and you never had like an insight on how my dad feel like, right? And just that simple 10 minute simulation. I, and she was so emotional that she was actually tearing up. And I think mm-hmm. that's when she really realized like how much her parents have, have struggled, but also the amount of like resilience and determination they have shown, um, even though like it is, it is extra difficult uh, to, be, to be living in society with a disability. 
Mm-hmm. And I like that you share that because I imagine a lot of the simulation, something you described with um, deafness and visual impairment, a lot of the activities you have revolve around a lot of face-to-face and interactions, right? So I guess with the pandemic and the circuit breaker, what has been the experience for society staples moving online or what's been the biggest challenge in this period? Yeah, so, so, so we first uh, started to feel like we were going to get hit quite badly uh, sometime in February. Uh, in fact, early February, right, when, when like most of the cases in Singapore back then were still like imported cases, uh, but many of our clients were already like cancelling and we were not getting the, the, the same demand because usually March and April is our first peak period. Um, and we were not getting like any, you know, events or like any requests, right? And, 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 and that's when I, I told my co-founder, Ryan, like, okay, you know, I think like something is quite wrong, lah, right? It's going to be quite bad. Uh, but, but we, I think at that point of time, we still didn't really have an idea of like, how are we going to go online or like, because the first thought that came to me is like, how do I do Dragon Boat? I don't know why you're like a Zoom call, right? Like it just doesn't make sense. So, so, so we were kind of like, you know, just floating around and just like observing what's happening in the landscape mm-hmm. or just listening to all these advisories. And advisories were changing like every other day, right? Yeah. So we were like, today I plan, then tomorrow new advisory. Then I'm like, oh my God, my plans don't make sense anymore. Uh, but I think the, the, the push really kicked in when PM Lee uh, first talked about implementing this circuit breaker. Uh, I think that was on the 4th of April. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a Friday. Like, I knew that very well because two days before, a couple of caregivers have already texted me and then they were like, okay, it seems like we're going to be headed towards like some sort of a home-based learning or maybe even like work from home, like uh, similar to a lockdown sort of situation. And I was like, okay. Uh, and the fact that they were already like preempting all this and there was a lot of anxiety, right, in their text messages. I was like, okay, I'm going to monitor this, right? So the moment the call came out, I was like, okay, we, I, I, like, I don't know, something just like, clicked in me and I was just like we, we better get down to action uh, so so in so on that same night uh, we reached out to a lot of caregivers right we designed like a whole survey just asking them like what are some of the needs that you, you foresee you might have what are some of the support that you wanted uh, so we gathered uh, quite a considerable amount of like responses and uh, immediately after the next day like uh, 9 a.m I was having a call with Ryan and we were like looking through the whole data and, like okay you know we can group this here group this there um, and, and by 12 o'clock we, we launched uh, like four initiatives um, so the, the most notable one was really about creating Um, inclusive online activities so that PWDs can continue to be meaningfully engaged at home. Um, And and that's where, you know, we we have the likes of like all our different program partners with coming in with like yoga, with taiko drumming, uh, you know, like um, basic simple drawings, uh, painting, so on and so forth. So, 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 So that was one. And I think like that whole experience really showed us like the, the, like when push comes to shove, you will just kind of like get down and, 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 and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was really nice because um, I think like the team has never been challenged in, in this way. Uh, and most of my team right now are actually made out of interns. So, so I, I, I think like before that, things were still a bit slow. They were still trying to get into a groove. And then suddenly we were telling them, like, okay, you must do this by today. You must do this. You know, like we need to launch by like this. Like that, that there were a lot stricter deadlines. Uh, and I think for Ryan and myself personally, it was it was a very um, heartwarming experience because it really brought us back to the days where we first started, where the mindset was just like, okay, you know, let's, my tool, like, let's just go and do. Uh, but I think along the way, like more and more expectations came and all, and then we become a lot more wary and we, we moved like slower. So, so that was really like, you know, uh, uh, like running a whole new startup again. Uh, and you mentioned there were four initiatives. So one was creating inclusive online activities. What were the other three activities 
that has happened. Yeah. Um, so the second one was um, home-based learning support. So this was more for parents who may face a difficulty trying to operate like the Zoom calls and, you know, all this technical stuff. Um, and also like a lot of these families, even though they have kids with special needs, uh, there are also other siblings, you know, who are like mainstream uh, in, in the mainstream schooling system. And the parents were very worried that, oh, I may not be able to support uh, my children in, in some of these other things. Uh, so, 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 yeah, so we put together um, like different initiatives started by other people. Uh, you can count, you can see us as more like an aggregator um, of sorts. So we essentially just, you know, compile all these into one centralized platform so that if people need support for these things, they can click, right? So, so there was the home-based learning one. There was also support for errands uh, because that was uh, another huge need, right? Parents were worried that they won't have time to do grocery shopping, um, you know, or any other errands that they might have. Uh, and the last one was, I think parents were also, especially mothers, right? They were very stressed because right now, um, the, the, a large portion of like caregiving comes from the mom. And to manage like all the household chores, right? Even like cooking and all that, it also falls on the mom, yeah. right? So, so I think they were like extra stressed and they were all asking me like, oh, is there anywhere where I can order food? Uh, and I think at the same time, they were also really nice because the request was, I don't want to order food from the big chains. I want to order food from like hawker centers and all mm -hmm. the like smaller local businesses. But at that point of time, it was still very difficult to find them online. So we say, okay, then, you know, we're going to build a platform where we list all of these um, um, F&B establishments so that, you know, you, you can support local and at the same time also ease some, like, household chores uh, of, on your side. And it's cool because you and it's cool because you started the we started the conversation talking about how um, you adopted a language of community building and across mm. these four activities, a big part of it was building and maintaining these communities, but online. So, what has surprised you the most through this process um, of building and maintaining these communities? Uh, what has surprised me the most? I think a lot of times when people talk about community building. Um, they, 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 they think of it in the, in the perspective of like, oh, it has to be this group of people that meets, let's say, every week or like a certain frequency, right? Uh, but I think what I realized is the, the communities don't form just because you are meeting X amount of frequency, right? There are some people that can meet like one week for the last three months. And actually, if you ask them, like, do you still do you even see this as a community or like, is this a community to you? Their answers would actually be no. Um, and I think that's also because like a community is not just how often you see each other, but it's also about whether or not you find that that sense of belonging, whether or not you feel comfortable, whether or not you think like that is a, a space for you to truly be who you are, not what you think other people expect you to be. So I think in terms of like maintaining these communities online, I think what, what really helped us uh, that make the whole process a lot smoother was um, all these were common needs that were articulated by the ground, right? So we were merely just playing the role of that, that facilitator, that enabler to, to allow all these communities to just naturally gather. Uh, but, but that is really because we knew what were the critical needs on the ground, right? If we didn't do that, that foundation work and we just kind of plucked you know, whatever we think like people might need, mm -hmm. uh, which is quite a common situation that happens. Um, then, 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 you know, then, then, then perhaps like the committees won't gather so naturally or they might look at it and be like, yeah, okay, that's cool. But you know, you're not addressing my need. Mm -hmm. So yeah. correct me. So what you're saying is that the reason why you will be, you were able to do that four online transition activities was because you spent five years building trust and, and, and rapport with these communities such that when the pandemic and circuit breaker happened, they could 
come to you as the aggregator to find different sources of information. Yes, exactly. And and I like the expression you use like it's my tool in the beginning, right? Don't 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 um let's not uh, let, let's rush and not wait anymore, right? So yeah, you know, looking back and we are almost at the end of the circuit breaker, even though it's not quite the end yet. Um, yeah. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you have given yourself at the start of the pandemic or circuit breaker? Uh, yeah, so 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 I, I reflected a, a little bit about the entire process, right? Because I've just been so like focused on doing, 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 right? So so this was really a question that that I yeah that that really brought me through like the entire experience. And I think what I have like my most memorable learning lesson would be in times of crisis, uh leadership needs to be clear and authentic. I think what I have seen and, and observed is there are many people who are just waiting on the sidelines, right? Just watching, checking out what other people are doing. Um, they are so afraid to, to take the step, uh, even though like they, they may have ideas, right? Because the stakes are so high and like failure is like almost guaranteed, right? But I also realized that in, in these times, right, when everything is so uncertain and like you don't even know like what, what, what could happen tomorrow, um, it is, it's not so much about like what is the best solution or like the right thing to do anymore because technically there is no best solution and there's no right thing to do, yeah. right? So, so I think for us is like we, we feel that in order to do our community justice, right, and, and our work justice as well, the, the best way is to really steward whatever resources and knowledge and, you know, trust and, and all that we have gotten uh, to the best of our abilities. And I think if we keep maintaining that, that motivation, um, um, and that intention, right? We we like even if we if we fail, then then okay lah. Then you know we fail, we learn, and and we pivot. Gotcha. Yeah. And then finally, we're looking near the end of the circuit breaker. How can the public help? So let's say someone who's listening wants to help your work or your cause right now or moving ahead. What can he or she or they do to help um, advance your cause further? Yeah, so there, there are many, many exciting things. Uh, so, so we are building phase two of uh, the whole ssreview.sg platform. Um, and that platform is going to be a lot more focused on the needs of people with disabilities and, and caregivers, right? So uh, we hope that, or rather we are striving towards uh, for, the, for this whole phase two platform uh, to be up by 2nd June. So immediately after Circuit Breaker ends, right? So that, like, yeah, it comes in nicely and, you know, the support is, is there. Uh, yeah, so, so when that comes out, you know, uh, uh, do go and check it out. Uh, give us your feedback, give us your input. Um, you know, that, that will be really helpful for us so that we can continuously build something that will be more and more in service of this community. Um, there is also another initiative, uh, which is a food uh, support, or rather like a meal support uh, initiative called Good Food for Community. Uh, we just launched our second fundraiser on uh, Ray of Hope. Uh, the reason why we had to do that was with the extension of the circuit breaker, there were actually more uh, need for food support uh, that were being flushed up uh, and that was mm -hmm. surfaced to us. Uh, so, so right now, we're actually catering to, to more people and, 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 and we do need money to, to, to support these news. 100% of your donations go directly uh, to that. Yeah, so, so that's another like, very exciting uh, project that I've been working on as well. Mm -hmm. Here is my full conversation with friend zones Grace and Thumb, who are 26 and 27 years old, recorded today. I guess to just lead everything, and, and this is maybe a question you've heard a, a, a thousand times before, but in a pre-COVID Singapore, could you tell me more about friend, friend zone and then the work that you and your team did um, before COVID? 
Okay, so um, going from the start, I just want to say that I believe that uh, community and communication are deeply intertwined and that you can't create a community without communication or vision or communication between members. And I think what Friendzone does is we create communication platforms that bring young adults together to form new relationships and broaden perspectives. Yeah, so pre-COVID, we were hosting gatherings in neighborhoods um, that were conversation-centric, meaning that our events, uh, we facilitate and, and hold space for young people to have conversations with people of different backgrounds, experiences, life stages, interests, passions, and personalities. Yeah. And you know how, I mean, the obvious kind of follow-up would be how did you guys, the both of you and your team got started? Because being so being conversation-centric and holding space, how did the idea come about in the first place? Um, so I think there's two parts. One is, one is the, the neighborhood focus. And the neighborhood focus was deeply inspired by our time in campus when we were in university um, and the experience of living with other young people in our neighborhoods and just being around the, the difference and the diversity of other young people with very different values and behaviors to us. But the close proximity, making it um, very convenient to hang out and just spending so much time with other people. Uh, that I think also gave us on one hand like clarity about who we were and the difference that we have to another person, but also an appreciation for other people because we spend so much time with different people from us. And then the second part of Friendzone, which is the conversation-centric focus, was just inspired by noticing that a lot of events that were hosted um, in the neighborhood space or just in general didn't really facilitate the forming of um, new relationships. And how, like, for example, um, we could both show up at a movie screening, we could sit beside one another, we could watch a movie and we could leave, and never had, never have had a chance to get to know each other. So we felt that there was a, an opportunity to create an event that was, as in for people who just wanted to come together to like get to know new people. Yeah. And form meaning, more meaningful connections, like very intentionally from the start. Mm -hmm. And I guess because the two focuses, right, you mentioned it's neighborhood focused and it's conversation centric focused. And those are very face-to-face -face kind of interactions, as I said. And, you know, now with the pandemic and the circuit breaker, why has been the experience moving something that's really physical and really face-to-face -face online? You know, something that was based in neighborhoods and how has that move been for the team and for Friendzone? The greatest challenge was that in, real, in, in the virtual space, uh, we realized that it is very difficult for people to read each other's body language. Um, so in, in a face-to-face -face conversation, uh, you could realize, I mean, in, in a conversation setting, you would realize when to take turns, uh, when someone should respond. I mean, all these are usually through quite like facial expressions and body cues, uh, but all the body cues are just kind of lost in the, the virtual setting. Um, and, and we had to replace that by adding in some elements in our program, which we realize later. So uh, we get participants to learn some simple gestures like thumbs up or like to give a heart uh, to each other so that when you are muted in a virtual environment, at least you can express uh, some of these sentiments like, oh, I agree with your thought or I resonate with your thought um, or to show just more like facial expressions in general. So that's something that we have learned uh, along the way as we design this program. Um, yeah, and how does yeah. the online program look like? So let's say 
I was a participant, I joined Friendzone online. So yeah. what would like the average program look like? Uh, so what we do is essentially a lot of conversation cards. Um, you can imagine that we would break people out into smaller groups uh, based on their location. So we, we use a platform where it enables us to be able to break people out into groups based on how similar their answers are to each other. So in, uh, what we programmed in was that people will be broken out based on where they live, which we ask. Um, and after that, once they get to meet their closer group of neighbors, uh, they go through rounds of conversation cards. So the first few rounds are usually simpler. Uh, the first two rounds actually talk about, first one is just introducing themselves and what they like about their neighborhood, for example. Uh, the second round talks about how they've been uh, dealing or managing the COVID situation. So a question, an example is what's a positive surprise that uh, you've seen in this period of transition or what's been difficult or easy for you in the COVID situation. And the last round uh, goes into something very open. So we ask them, uh, what is something that's weighing on your mind that you would like to ask your group? So that, that enables them to seek a new perspective from someone else that they have met. And usually they have five minutes per person to kind of ask a question and get new responses. And I imagine a lot of this sharing, especially with that last question about what's been weighing on your mind, that's probably something that's going to elicit very um, emotionally heavy kind of responses in that sense. And so what's you know, surprised you or your team the most in, in these interactions? Um, even though it's online, um, it seems that you've created a space where people feel safe enough to share these thoughts. So what surprised you the most through this process in building and maintaining these communities? So two things come to mind. I think um, one is that it has been, is until, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, people may be less um, willing to open up online. But I think we've also come to realize that some people are more comfortable opening up to a screen than coming for a face-to-face -face event. So in some, in some way, we've been able to capture like that group of people, you know, people who may feel a lot more hesitation or, or resistance in like showing up physically for an event. Now they can just like, show up online, you know, and I guess if the event really sucks, they can just be like, oh, sorry, uh, my Wi-Fi sucks, oh, I suck. <laughs> just like freeze and then just like leave the call. Um, okay, that, that, really, that hasn't really happened, but like, you get the idea. Uh, I think the other thing, someone mentioned in one of our calls was that um, his reflection point was that the relationships that you form online are no less inferior to the relationships that you form offline. Yeah. And um, I think what, as, as you're asking that question of like, what have we learned in, in building and maintaining these communities? I think it's that sometimes it's not just about the immediate, like the first meeting, but about the follow-up. Because relationships are strengthened in the, the next steps. Like, you know, you can meet, we meet people all the time events, right? But like, what happened? What do you do next to the relationship that you form? No, I... It's, it's interesting to me, and I guess the next question I would like to ask the both of you because um, a big part of community building is that the both of you and your team has invested so much time and um, hearing these reflections must resonate a great deal. But what I'm interested in is how it's been for you personally in terms of having to manage your jobs and your careers and your family life and everything else. And I guess the way to frame this question will be in the context of all you have done for friend zone online and the friend zone. If you, give, if you could give yourself one piece of advice at the start of the pandemic, knowing what you know now, 
what would that one piece of advice be? I'm actually thinking about this question because I decided not to respond first when you ask it. <laughs> yeah, so for uh, the listeners, um, this is not a uh, deliberate pause. This is the interviews thinking about both, <laughs> both Tom and, and, and Grace thinking about the answers, which is great because I think that's, yeah. an, that, I mean, that's my curiosity because we talk so much about initiatives and the fantastic work you've done. It's been documented over time, but sometimes I think it's interesting to ask about the people behind the initiatives, you know, how, it's, how has it been for the both of you individually? Yeah, I, I can go first. Um, I think one thing I would tell myself is really just not to worry about it and to remember that um, we're looking for quality anyway. So I think one thing I was a bit anxious about were the sign-up numbers at the start. Because in my mind, it was like, okay, if we're running this, these sessions that reach out to every young person in every neighbourhood, because in the past, we were only doing grandchildren for like two neighbourhoods, right? But now that we're doing sessions for all across Singapore, technically everyone can attend it, right? So I'm just like, at the start, I remember looking at the numbers and being like, why, why, like, why are the numbers so low? Um, and I think just being reminded as I was uh, at that point in time that, that we were looking for quality, like even if two people showed up or even if just three people showed up, like that's good enough because we just want to connect whoever wants to get connected. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I would remind myself or I have, taken to heart more through this whole thing is that I have a great team that I'm working with, you know, that I'm not doing this alone. And, and I think that also comes back to the heart of Friendzone, right? Like Friendzone is an initiative started by a bunch of friends who have this common vision. And like, we were never in this alone. You know, like if I, there's something I don't know how to deal with, like if I'm vulnerable in like just admitting it or like saying it out, like that's where the complementariness of the team comes in. Uh, to like support or to give advice or to provide perspectives that you don't have, yeah. Yeah, and the other point I just say is like I think also realizing that like the people that I work on friends with are some of my best friends. Yeah, so I think just being able to articulate that and to really just con- not that I've never appreciated them before, but to just appreciate them again and tell them that like you guys matter to me, you guys are very important to me, and I'm very thankful that I'm. Doing this with you? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. My thoughts when, when Jinyao first asked this question, I mean, it went in a more program, uh, as in it went towards the programs side of things. Um, so, I mean, I, an advice I would give myself is to, as long as you have a vision, um, just try it first and, and move along the way because we, we are living in a period of very rapid transition and the, the, the environment just moves very, very quickly. Uh, like whether you have a circuit breaker <laughs> the next week, you, you just don't know uh, all these things. But um, just work with what we have first and, and launch something and then see how it shifts from there. Because I think I dealt with a lot of uncertainty when this first began. Like I think if we launch this online thing, then what happens if uh, the next month shift back offline again, then why are we spending so much effort launching this entire online effort? Uh, and, and those were all the uncertainties that were going through our mind. Uh, but we just, as in, I mean, as we went along the journey of 
doing these conversations, uh, I think what I experienced was just prototype something first, seek feedback, and then just adapt from there uh, and, and see how it goes. I mean, if something doesn't work out, then maybe just throw it off quite, very quickly and then shift to something new. Yeah, so, so that's what I would tell myself. <laughs> no, thank you for sharing, because I think what um, you mentioned has been probably resonates with a lot of community builders and people who are involved in different initiatives, which is just do it, you know? Someone said, and oh. in an earlier episode, you hear Deborah say, my too liao, which is basically <laughs> just get it going, right? And it's fascinating that the both um, initiatives kind of share that, that, that mentality. I guess on that note, it will be, for individuals who are interested in participating on an online version or an offline version, um, you know, how can they get involved and how can they get in touch with your team and, and um, Friendzone or Friendzone online? Yeah, so you can just go to our website, www.friendzone.sg. Um, the information is there about like when our upcoming events are. Um, mm. Also got a few like blog posts that share about uh, the hat behind Friendzone and like what you can expect if you want to come for the session, like different emotions that you may go through and, and conversation topics that have been had. Yeah. And that's it for our episode today. Thank you to Deborah, Grace and Thumb and thank you, the listener, for joining us. Please also share other initiatives or issues which you think should be highlighted email me at sppkjy at nus.edu.sg That's sppkjy at nus.edu.sg You can also subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast at tinyletter.com slash socialservicesg Thank you very much and see you next time.